I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Oops! The Podcast. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Hope you guys are having a nice time. Uh, here we are. We're back. We are doing it. So I want to talk about holiday stuff because we might as well. Um, but I have a funny thing that I want to talk about. Shoot. So this this involves going to the doctor about embarrassing shit. Okay. So if they have to look at your nether regions, what that's like and what that process entails. So I recently was putting off going about something because it was an embarrassing in an embarrassing area. You know, it wasn't a big deal, but it was nagging me and bothering me enough where I was like, okay, I should get, I should get looked at. Okay. So it involved a pant pulling down and you know, a, you know, my, and my, and my ass dude, I don't know how else to describe it. And it involved the doctor literally like having to embarrassingly examine me. Okay. It was fine. We're good, but it was embarrassing. Now, usually doctors are like able to just talk about that and it's not weird. Like they're good at that, but I think I made it weird, but I wasn't sure. If she- <laughs> <laughs> You're being weird about it, bringing it up. It's just weird to talk about, dude. My fucking going to get my ass checked out, dude. So anyway, I'm talking about like your, your, your bum bum hole. You sure. So I, I, I no, need, so I don't know. Yeah. So it actually wasn't, but in uh, order for her to do thorough, a thorough examination, they were looking at everything just okay. to, just to okay. get, just to do proper medicine. You know what I mean? To be thorough. Okay. So it involves me laying over and pulling my pants down and like a, a sort of opening of the gate <laughs> and it was weird, mm-hmm. but it was fine. It was quick, whatever. And she's like, Oh, you're fine. Like did a thorough check. This is what you're going to get. You're going to get, and you're going to be good to go. Okay, cool. Right. All good. However, then I felt relieved because I was like, okay, like obviously it was nothing like it was just sort of like a skin thing. You know what I mean? Like not a big deal, quickly handled, like no big deal. But then I'm so relieved that I'm feeling good. And I start talking about how I was relieved that she was going to be my doctor because it's the one who I'm the most comfortable with and who I like the most. And I sort of like said that. And then I kind of got shot down pretty quickly. I was like, yeah, when I saw that you were going to be my doctor, like I was super relieved because, you know, I come to you the most. So like I feel the most comfortable theoretically doing a checkup like this with you. And then she was kind of like, the medicine will be ready. Like, oh, wow. I was like, fuck. Oh, my God. Did I just like cross the line? Like are doctors supposed to like not get involved in a conversation like that? Because for whatever reason, it could get weird. Like, is there some protocol where like somebody being like, thank God it was you who looked at me. No, that's human decency. Like you're just a night. That's a, you're just saying something nice. I felt really weird. That about should it, have dude. been reciprocated. I felt really weird about it. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable. It was extremely uncomfortable. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I feel weird now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're 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 very vulnerable when you get checked out or something yeah. like that. You're you're exposed. You're spread. Yeah. You are vulnerable. Yeah, I've had I've had similar situations where they've had to go down there in my what did you call region in my nether regions and um i've had to get polyps removed from my colon uh well they didn't know they were polyps are they hemorrhoids are they polyps we there's only way to find out and it was by laying in the position of fetal and um being put under like child's pose no like oh like yeah 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 I did this too. Like this. I didn't do it as tightly as you're doing it. It had to be tight. <laughs> and I had to lay there in, in one of those um, I don't know, those gowns and my butt a was smock. exposed, a smock. And they put me in one of those surgery rooms. And it looked like it was so sanitary. It looked like the, the type of room that number 11 like oh, yeah. played in. Like they, it just was, yeah. there was no personality. It was just scary. Dexter. Yes. Like- and um, what they do is they, they put you under and then they go in there and then they cut out the polyps and uh, then they burn 
the scab or they, they, yeah, they burn the cut so that it scabs and then heals on its own. And so it theoretically won't grow back. Yes. And so they, they, they stick like a, a camera and whatever cutting device that is up your butt. Now I've had this procedure done twice now and, um, it's, it's terrifying going into it and it's very, it's safe. Is but it better now scary. that you've done it once? Or is it worse the second time? Too much time has gone by in between yeah, where it completely resets. Yeah. And so the last time that I went, um, I, I knew what I was getting myself into. But the anesthesiologist, you know, she she's holding my hand because I'm shaking. And it's so embarrassing because I'm trying to be chill. I was like 23 last time I got it. And uh, I'm trying to be chill. I'm talking to the doctor. I'm like making small talk. We talked about the Yankees. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I really like Aaron Judge. Judge is doing great in the, in the playoffs. But I'm trying so hard to be cool. But it's so obvious because I'm literally shaking. Jesus. It's, it's, I, I felt pathetic. But it's scary. You, you didn't even under. feel anything? You just wake up? So, yeah. So, the lady was holding my hand. She's like, oh, my God, you're shaking so much. I was oh, like, God, no, I'm like... good. Everything's fine. And then they do the countdown. Five, four, three, two. Gone. I'm gone. And then... Whenever it's over, I wake up both times in a different room, sitting in a chair. Wow. No one's in the room. Wow. And then uh, and then I just have to like sit there and kind of wake up and get reoriented with the world. And then someone comes in and they're like, yep, your, your mom or your dad's here. Jesus. And then it, you can just walk out? You just walk out. Then they examine. And uh, are you like really sore? It's weird. Can you it's go to the bathroom normally? No. Okay. So, <laughs> dude, before... So let me let me finish this. So you feel sore. You walk out. They examine whatever they cut out of you to see if it has cancer or not. It? No, you don't get to see it. And they're worried that it might have cancer. Yeah, you you, you never know. So, so they, a polyp theoretically can be cancerous. Yes. So is there a chance that if you were to get them in the future, and I'm sorry they keep asking so many questions, I'll let you finish. But um, like if they come back, there's a chance that those would have cancer. Which is why you go for the procedure yeah. whenever there's blood in your stool. Or you can just, I can tell. I know my body now. You're a pro now. Like, I'm a pro. So, You're a polyp um, pro. I'm a pro at the polyps. And uh, we had, which reminds me, we had scallops last night, which were very good, but just because they rhymed. Polyps, scallops. Yeah. Um, so if you are ever so lucky to need to get this procedure done, you cannot drink water, I think, 12 hours prior to the procedure. And you need to do a cleanse. Now, it's not like a juice cleanse, like what you're doing. You need to put a syringe in your butthole while laying down like this. Oh, it's like a you need to get a, <laughs> a colonic? Yeah, and you need to you need to syringe two full squirts worth of whatever laxative they have. You do it have. to yourself or do they do it for you? I do it to myself at my house before. And uh, it's really uncomfortable. It's embarrassing but you just got to syringe it in there and then you go to the bathroom twice and then you're, you're fully flushed and then you show up to the, you'd show up to the, uh, the operation table completely dehydrated. You get the procedure yeah. and you're on your way. And I think I'm due for my third procedure. Really? Yeah. It's, it's been so the about four years. The squirting happens afterward. No, you do it before oh. that's prep. But then when you, after you're done, are you normal? You're normal, but you're scared to go to the bathroom for but like 10 days. But it's fine. It is fine. Yeah. Doesn't even hurt. Uh, it's just sore and confusing. And like you, you, you feel like every time you have to go to the bathroom, it's like you're taking a risk and like you get anxious. Got it. And so like, I didn't go to the bathroom for like, yeah, because they're like three or they four tell days you, afterwards. Like, if you feel weird, let us know type thing. No, not even that. I think it's so common that oh. like, it's not even a big deal. Like if I were to call and say something, they would just say, shut up. And but you know, it's it. time. I can tell. I know. I know my body. So sorry, <laughs> but luck, also man. that's how it works. So if you do, you know, you feel something's wrong with your body, say something, do something about it. Um, and yeah, <laughs> where, how do we start this? I was talking about my examination, but I'm glad you and opened up right? your, your what region? The nethers. The nether region. The Netherlands. Yeah. You got to get that checked out. Gotta Dude, get that this is, out. did I ever tell this story? One of my friends had shoulder surgery and he got anesthesia, but he, He's one of these like rare people who like was unable like was unable to wake up from it. Oh, wake up? He's fine, but while during the anesthesia, he like woke up but wasn't awake. And he heard like commotion in the room. He heard his like parents being like, "Oh my god!" Like, and he heard the doctor saying, "Hey, 
just so you know, like we're having trouble getting you out of this. You're like one of the rare people who like didn't take to this one or whatever. We're going to try our best to like figure it out. So just hang in there. Like we think you're going to be fine, but we're, we're just trying to figure out what's wrong. And so he could hear that. Yep. And like fully process it, but can't move. Wow. How long, how long did that last? I think like a few hours. Wow. Yeah. And do you think he like came in and out of it or do you think he was awake for that he whole thing awake. until he was able to open his eyes? I think he was awake until they like pulled him out of it. Wow. Fucked up. Dude, that's scary yeah. stuff. Well, dude, let's get into some of these emails as promised unless yeah. you have more. Let's move on. Tushy material. Um, so do have more surgery stories, but I'm going to save them for another time. <laughs> I, had, I had an interesting surgery while uh, working with you guys on the podcast, but I'll save that for next year. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, okay. So first of all, we have a question, a travel question, which we love. This is my best travel year. As far as the flight list, the flight count goes 50, which wow. is pretty good. And especially cause I didn't do any like crazy trips like the Afghanistan trip. I mean, I guess that wasn't that many. That was just like four flights, but still like I didn't have many of those this year. I just had that one wedding that we went to this summer. Um, so I'm amazed, but I guess I was busy. I don't know. Whatever. Um, with all the going deals to Europe for $500 nonstop parentheses, I live in the Midwest. So that's a deal. What is the shortest trip you would take internationally for a vacation? Three days, five days. Would you hit multiple cities trying to get abroad as much as possible while not abusing my unlimited PTO at work? That's another topic I want to talk about unlimited PTO, but for now let's attack this. So that's a good question. And I think that it sort of depends where you're going. I don't think, like, I think a weekend trip internationally is perfectly fine, but it just depends where you are. So if you're in the Midwest, you're a little bit further away from certain things. You know what I mean? Going to Europe for the weekend becomes even more ambitious than it would have been previously, uh, especially if you are in, did she say Chicago or she just said the, the Midwest? I think just the Midwest. Just the Midwest. Okay. So look, if you're in the Eastern time still, um, the time change isn't as bad, although the flight become the, the flight change isn't as bad as obviously as if you're in central time but uh flying and like changing time zones that heavily like if you're going someplace that's eight hours ahead a three-day trip there becomes difficult to enjoy and in my opinion sort of not worth it i mean iceland is one thing because iceland i think uh it's a shorter flight and it's also less of a time difference so like theoretically that's as far unless you're just like a fucking savage or like you have some reason that you need to go for work or something as far as going on vacation even as even i would not do like a weekend trip to italy it's just just because of the time difference i don't mind being on the flight the time difference just fucks you up so like you fly overnight you arrive at 9 a.m it's friday i've done it for weddings and it's been fun but like you arrive at 9 a.m and now your clock's all fucked up. At some point that day, you probably need to take a nap, even if you slept on the flight. And now half of your day has been cannibalized. You make it to dinner. That's my rule. I take the nap, leave the hotel for dinner, then go back to the hotel and you should be good. But still then, you only have Saturday and then Sunday you're going back to the airport. That's crazy to me. That's not enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to South America, theoretically, the weekend trip can kind of work i did like a long weekend trip to brazil i was in brazil for two nights and i had a great time and it was again it was i would love to have stay longer i think with my schedule or whatever i didn't have the time to go for longer but somebody invited me i could stay at their house i was like i can't pass up on this opportunity and i had shitty flights too like i had long connections in other countries um so i think if you're in the same a similar time zone if you're only like an hour or two off very doable. Like an LA trip for the weekend, that three hour time difference to me is doable if you need to do it. It just sucks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it that way, like if you're going West, you get to LA, you leave, you, you have a 9am flight to LA on Friday morning. You get there at 11. You spend the whole day. Your clock's good. You wake up the next morning early, wide awake. You have a full day Saturday and then you can have a full day Sunday and take the red eye back. You're good. Um, and I think the same goes for like the islands. If you want to go to the Bahamas for the weekend, I think that's fully doable. Costa Rica for the weekend, fully doable. Try to make it a long weekend at least, you know, do a Thursday to Monday or something. But you know, if you have the time, I don't think it's that crazy. Like it's not like if you're willing to go to Florida for the weekend, why are you not willing to go to Costa Rica for the weekend? The flight's only two hours longer. It's just two hours. It's nothing. So that's the thing too. It's like, if you have the time to travel, do it, dude. 
Like people are like, oh, that flight's so long. How like, is it that bad? Hillary says that I have like an unusually high tolerance for transit. Like, it doesn't bother me and maybe that makes me unique. But like the idea of having to take an 18 hour flight to fly across the world, that's nothing. That's to me, the problem is the money and the time that getting the time to go do it, spending that amount of time to get across the world. I would do it in a heartbeat without even thinking twice. I encourage you guys to do the same, but yeah, I think that is my answer. Like for Europe, I think in an ideal world, minimum four nights, if you just have like a perfect amount of time, there's somewhere you really want to go. And I think that, you know, the, the islands or in the U S two nights can work. And I think that if you're going to South America, Again, three nights, but again, you know, the short flight can screw you sometimes. How so? So this is how, for example, Las Vegas to New York. If you're taking the red eye, that red eye is not long enough to sleep properly. That's like, that's a four hour flight. So if you sleep from the second you take off to touchdown, you still haven't slept enough. And that sucks. Your sleep on a plane is obviously a lower quality sleep, et cetera, et cetera. So in that regard, an international flight with a longer flight time can actually like impact your sleep schedule better as opposed to like, you know, a, a late flight. So like a five hour, a five or six hours in the air, for example, might be tougher to adjust to than a longer flight time where you might get to sleep a little more on the flight if you sleep well on flights, whatever. I know some people don't and I actually historically don't, but I've, I've been getting better at it. I sort of like force myself to, even if I'm not going to sleep a minute, no phone, no TV, mm-hmm. close your eyes, think about shit and just relax. And then you end up falling asleep because usually I'm like, oh, I'll wear myself down. I'll, I'll, I'll watch seven movies. I won't fall asleep. Um, and I've been on some pretty fucking long flights. So I remember one time I was, I was on a flight to Jordan. I was about to fall asleep. I think I took a Xanax. A woman puked on me and it was like white puke. It was like milk. I just heard, ah, and I look, turn around. I have vomit all over my <laughs> oh, arm. Oh, what she, was this? I was flying from New York to Jordan, Royal Jordanian. And I think that uh, I didn't even, I was like about to fall asleep. Nobody came to like offer to help clean me up, which is surprising because it's a good airline. And the woman never apologized. She just woke up at the end of the flight being like, ah. I was like, are you fucking <laughs> serious? Um, so how, much, how much did she get on you? Enough where you had to take it off? Full arm puke. What? vomit i know but the fact it just surprises there was so me much that, vomit it was as if i stuck my arm in a pool of vomit and pulled it out yeah well that surprises me that she didn't acknowledge you or anybody working on the flight acknowledge you russians that's fucked up fucking russians that's disgusting i know it was bad i'm sorry thanks <laughs> nice trip though overall <laughs> uh but anyway so yeah i think that's what we say but that makes me think about this paid uh time off or so the unlimited mm, time PTL, off. yeah it is, so hers, she said PTO or unlimited time off? Let's see. She said unlimited PTO. Yeah, that's the term. What, like, why are we calling it unlimited PTO? It's not unlimited. In fact, it's limited. It's more limited than a finite amount of PTO. Because say you have unlimited PTO. Okay, I'm taking the entire year off. You obviously can't do that, right? But you can't even take two months off. Some of these jobs are like high pressure, stressful, on the go, constantly jobs. If you even take two weeks off, that's a problem. And it's unspoken that it's a problem, but everybody's talking about it. And suddenly you're not, you know, and it makes people afraid to take it and they don't. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some study about this, that people who have unlimited PTO don't take it. That sucks. And that's why I want to work at Microsoft, dude. They fucking force you to take PTO. You have to take it. You're right. The place that I worked at, it was, uh, yeah, the study shows that if you, if you have unlimited PTO, you're less, you're going to take less time off than you would if your company didn't. The jig is up, dude. Yeah. Um, but I will say where I worked specifically in say, like you can't, you can't pigeonhole, like some people can take two weeks off. Some people could take a month off if they had a limited PTO. It just depends on what you Do they have to work remotely? No, like where, where I worked, there were some circumstances where uh, salespeople would hit their quarterly number like, you know, within the first three weeks of, of the, quarter. the quarter. And so they basically would be punished in the next quarter if they brought in new business. So they would sandbag, meaning they would not bring in any more business until the uh, next quarter because, it, because it, would add on to, it would add to their quota for the following quarter. 
So the best thing to do is just maintain your book, not bring on new business because you've already maxed out what you can earn commission wise and take time off. There were people that were on my floor that uh, someone took five weeks off. Wow. Well, what about five this? weeks by doing that? Don't you then prevent yourself from from padding your Q2 and Q3 and Q4? Like, can't you bring in business in Q1 for Q2? Can't you like sandbag yourself in that way where instead of bringing in business for Q1, you you kick it down the, the river to Q2? But maybe people just need stuff for Q1 and it's going to go toward Q1. Well, specifically the way it worked uh, at our company, you have an account for two quarters total. So they brought on their new business they don't want them to spend any more money until the next quarter because that's the last quarter that they're going to have them in their account. Got it. Anybody that's currently in their book of business is going to leave anyway. So they max that out. It doesn't matter what happens next quarter because they're gone. So some people have been fortunate enough and skilled enough to set themselves up where it is within their best interest to really stop working wow. and take a month off, five weeks off. This particular person was an all-star too. She's like a top five salesperson so on the floor. That, that's the Unique circumstance. But lots of people took off two, three weeks for honeymoons. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you just set yourself up for the opportunity to cash in on the unlimited PTO. Some people, there was a girl that I worked with that uh, just was, she just didn't care about the job. She wouldn't hit quota. She'd find excuses to not come into work. Just like super... Super surprising and uh, obnoxious, like entitlement behavior. As like, oh well, I I don't feel like coming in today because so and so made a, a a rude comment about someone else, and I'm not even talking about I don't know, like microaggressions or anything. Just like catty uh, high school drama type of level of maturity. That my coworker I feel had. Like every sales environment has that person, the yeah. person who doesn't work hard, and you're like, how are you ever going to hit your goal? Yeah, and she was projected to finish. Uh, I think like. 68% to her final goal. And you get a percentage of your commission if you make it to 75. Uh, and she took PTO the last like week. And so she didn't even try. Phoned it in. That fucked my manager. And uh, So then your manager doesn't hit their goal because not everybody's above goal type thing? Yeah. I think she did hit her goal, but hypothetically, that like that is yeah. like a big fuck you to your director. So and my she, director did was. Did she just not care? Like, did she have a rich husband or something? No, she was like, she's like my age, and she's crazy. just crazy, crazy person, crazy town. Jesus. And um, and so like her case, she wasn't like the all star that was able to take five weeks off when she was putting in PTO. She was having sit downs and just like okay, like technically you can, but like this is a really bad look for you to take this yeah. time off. And so she would get pressured into like bailing on some of her, her PTO that she put in, but you know, they can't stop you yeah. until they fire you. Right. So that's crazy. It is. It's insane. So I want to ask more about this though. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes or no. Did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. So, for yeah. example, is the ideal scenario, since you can only have clients for two months, is the ideal scenario... Two quarters. Sorry, two quarters. Is the ideal scenario, week January 5th, you close like massive business across both of the next two quarters yeah so then you can basically just go on vacation for the rest of until june yeah we would call those accounts whales <laughs> nice caught the big whale in january yeah that yeah. would that hypothetically yeah it could it could play that way i've had i've been fortunate enough where accounts have been placed in my name um that we're gonna spend money whether i spoke with yeah. them or not some people that have spent the most money under my name never wanted to talk to me. I called them for the introduction, uh, the introduction call, and they're like, "Fuck off! Like we're good. Amazing. We know how to use this." And I'm yeah, like, "Great, sweet <laughs> three, <yes>. let's go." <laughs> oh, yeah, what a rush that was. So um, you really just relived that. that was yeah, nice, it was great. I remember the company and everything. It was fantastic. Yeah, let's fucking go, dude. But yeah, some yeah, the PTO thing is very finicky, and depending on where you are. From my experience, you could really cash in on it, but there's a reason why that study comes out. PTO is kind of like yeah. a catch-22. Sus. Dude, totally. And they're all very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, dude, so my, they sent us the list of the doormen who work here, which was helpful because mm. now I know, 
I have a, and that's a very, we talked about how this can be kind of controversial, but it gives you an idea of who the fuck works here and how you're going to tip them. So we have a ton of people that they sent us and it makes sense. These guys all do shit. So we have to tip them all. I mean, we're probably moving. We may not, but either way, like I'm not going to fucking dog these guys. They're good guys. Now here, there's a couple questions. Question number one, is it acceptable to give different amounts of money to the different people? Cause I'll be honest, 15 people. If we give the amount that we're going to give, that's the most to everybody. That's just like potentially crazy. <laughs> that's a lot of people. That's crazy. <laughs> that's 15 people. So I think we are going to tier our tipping system. I don't know if that's controversial. I don't know if these guys talk about how much different people gave. Hopefully the people that we give slightly less to will understand. Uh, it's a tough thing to navigate and it's what we're doing. You know, if there's some reason why we should not do that by the time this episode's out, it's going to be too late and maybe, you know, feel free to inform us for next time. Um, but of course we're going to tip everybody. The only scenario I could see that blowing up in your face is if all 15 people get their envelopes and they sit down together and they open them at the same time. Like, I don't think they're going to go back and right. forth and be like, oh, like what did B11 got you? Like, oh, wow, they skimped out on me. They only gave me 50 bucks. How much they give you? Like, oh, they gave us 200 bucks or whatever the hypothetical right, right, right. is. They're not going to do that. Well, but, but they might be like, how much? Hey, like maybe there's two guys who are really close with each other and they'll be like, how much did so-and-so give you? And they'll be like this much. And be like, huh, they only gave me this much. Again, bro, like it just is what it is. Like, you know, they're getting something. I wonder, I wonder if there's people who give nothing. There I must bet be. there are. And here is, the, here is the good question, the real question. There's plenty of European people who live here, right? Who live in New oh. York. The real test <laughs> as to whether or not European people actually are going to fucking go to the grave not tipping is, are they willing to not tip the doorman in the building they live in? In a restaurant, you walk out of the restaurant, you're gone. You know, whatever. Like, you you don't have to tip. But if you live here and you don't tip the guys, but everybody else does, suddenly, maybe you're a lower priority in the building. You're Because you're leaning on these people for a lot of stuff. So suddenly, you have something wrong with your apartment. Now you're the 10th guy who gets helped. Do they understand tipping in that capacity? Or are they just so aloof? Oh, I don't understand tipping. Why would I pay you twice? I already paid. Oh, You know? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on giving uh, a gift instead of cash? Like baking cookies. <sighs> the cookies are a bit of a cop-out. Cookies are a bit of a cop-out when it comes to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think it's very nice. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's, you're not expecting something. When it comes to year-end doorman shit, I think it's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. And I'll, this is an interesting thing too. I remember when I used to give tennis lessons, sometimes the people would give end of the year gifts and not everybody would. So it was nice. It was customary to give an end of the summer tip if you were in the Hamptons. And then it was customary to give a Christmas one maybe. But but some people you teach them all summer and they wouldn't give you a thing. And maybe they'd tip you after the lesson. Maybe they just wouldn't tip you at all. And it was fine. You weren't like mad at them for it. You were happy to have a regular lesson. Some people you, they teach, you teach them five times, they give you 500 bucks at the end of the summer. You're like, what the fuck? It's incredible, right? Or then some people would just tip you 20 bucks every time and then they wouldn't give you anything at the end of the summer. So all these different scenarios. Um, This was an interesting thing. Uh, When I worked in the city, there was a guy who would always give everybody American Express gift cards. And I sort of didn't understand why specifically it was American Express gift cards because I didn't have a good enough American Express to understand. But now I get it. That guy spent so much money on his Amex that he gets gift cards for free. He has to use his points, which are obviously money, but he is using it to print out a bunch of gift cards and he gives them to everybody who serves him throughout the year. Tennis people, maybe the guy at his favorite restaurant, whatever. And I'm thinking about that and I'm like, is that in some way a cop-out? I don't think it is. Like, it's fine. Money's money. Like, that's, that's great. Like, but I'm like, is that in some way a shittier gift? It's better than the European not doing anything. It's way better than nothing. I stand by it's a good gift. Mm-hmm. For a second, I had a question. I was like, "Do I? What do I think about this?" But yeah, it, it was. I stand by it. It mm-hmm. was solid. Doesn't really matter how you get to the dollar amount. They gave yeah. the dollar amount. Totally, dude. Yeah. This was one of the best gigs that I ever had as a tennis instructor. So, you know, there's always these. What, what a lot of like career tennis instructors would do. You work inside in the summer, and so in New York City, 
you can't just like go to a tennis court and play tennis. Even the public courts, you need a permit. And on that permit court, you can't bring a basket of balls. That matters because if I want to give a tennis lesson and I'm teaching somebody who isn't good enough, or, or if I'm just like want to drill them, if there's like a way that a tennis lesson typically goes, you cannot give that lesson on a public court in New York City. You would have to give it at a club. And at that club, you are contracted by the club to give the lesson. So the club takes 75% of the money and you get 25. And that's generous. It was, le- it was less than that when I was teaching. It was like I would get $30 for an $180 lesson which sucked, but you know, you get enough volume and it's still a pretty good hourly wage, but it's not a good hourly wage because you're working your fucking ass off. You can't check your phone. You're not that you should be checking your phone all day when you're working, but like you are in the zone. You're basically performing for a person 10 times in a row. It is a grind and you can make some money, but, um, that's the only way to do it. So if you're teaching at the club, you're feeding balls, whatever, but you can't do that in the summer unless you're teaching from a club. So what would happen is once it gets nice enough to play outside in New York City, all the guys at the club would try to massage their summer clients, specifically because this one club we took taught at literally wasn't even open during the summer because there's a bubble. It's there, 59th Street Bridge, there's a bubble. And the bubble would come down in the summer and they would play softball. So these people who played there would have nowhere to play in the summer or whatever. Maybe they did, but basically what you would do, and I'm sorry that I'm trying to give as much context as Mm -hmm. possible. You would make it so that you'd have these really good clients and then you could teach them in the summer. And I know I just said you can't teach them, but this is the way that you teach them in the summer. It's a person who's good enough to just hit balls with. So all they want to do is rally. That's a large percentage of your lessons when you're a tennis pro. It's guys who are pretty good that want to play with somebody else who's pretty good. You just smack balls around. You hit, as they call it, hit for the hour. Maybe they want to play a set. Maybe they want to play a tie break. You whoop their ass. You give them a thrill. Sometimes the guys are amazing and you actually have to try. You know what I mean? There's some good players out there. Um, but usually, you know, you have no problem beating these guys and you make it seem like you're trying really hard, but you're actually not. So like you do little tricks. So what you do, and I'm going to get to where I was going originally, but I think this is interesting information. So say I'm playing a guy who's pretty good, but I can, I can whoop him. So there's little things that I can do to make it seem like he's giving me a tougher time than he is. So for example, he hits a shot, a good shot, right? I get a late start moving to that ball. So I'm going to get there just on time to get it. So it seems like I barely, ah, I make an, and I even grunt as I get there and I slide on the clay for dramatic effect. I get the ball back. I could have got, I would, I would have normally gotten there faster, but I made it seem as if I struggled to get to the ball. I barely get there. Now, when you recover in tennis, what you're supposed to do is you do sort of like an overstep, like you step like a, what's that called? Karaoke step. So you step your right foot over your left step. You, you step your right foot over your left foot and then you're able to shuffle back so that you stay centered and you're able to pivot in either direction if you have to, okay? A person who doesn't move as well for tennis doesn't do that. And a person who isn't very good or won't even notice what you're doing. So in that moment, instead of recovering the way I would normally do, I'll take a couple steps running in the wrong direction. So I'm running the ball, turned, facing the ball, running toward it. I get to it. Or maybe I slide to it, right? So I'm still, I still am facing the court because it's on clay. You can slide. After that slide, I keep sliding in the wrong direction for too long. So now when he hits the ball back in the other direction, it seems as if it was really hard for me to get that ball too. So I'm moving all around the place, acting, dramatically acting like you're moving me around and giving me a tough time, but you're actually not. And eventually what will happen is that guy's going to miss, but he thinks he tried really hard. I still beat his ass, but he thinks that he gave me a tough time. Mm-hmm. The score doesn't lie. So he'll be like, I beat him 6-1, but he's like, well, but the points were good. He feels good about that. Keeps him coming back. You know what I mean? Wow. It's interesting. So anyway, best gig I ever had. It was one of these private clients. Now, I didn't want to be a tennis pro. I hated it. I hated teaching tennis. So I wasn't like getting my summers ready to teach. If it, if it fell into my lap, sure. But I wasn't. There were guys who would like set up a court on the fucking side of the, of the like West Side Highway and they'd bring a little mini net and they would teach kids and they would make a ton of money. I hated teaching kids. I didn't want to do that. If someone wanted to be a hitting lesson in Central Park, great. I'd get my permit. Show up early, blah, 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 blah. All that shit. Had a couple of those guys. But best gig I ever had. In the Hamptons, okay? I had a friend out, the people who I lived with in the city also had a house in the Hamptons. So it was nice to go out there because I could just stay at their house, which is amazing. And these people that I was teaching also had a house in the Hamptons. And this was the gig. They had a tennis court at their house. I would basically just teach their entire family for the day and get paid cash. It was amazing. It was like a hundred bucks an hour. And I'd teach four of them in a row. Both days, Saturday and Sunday. And I'd walk out of there, you know, 800 bucks in cash. And 
it was this dude and his daughters and the daughters were like all super chill and super cool. And I think that's the only reason why he used me was because he preferred playing with another guy who gave him more like technical instruction. Whenever I would give him technical instruction, he would like talk back to me. He'd be like, but this and that. I'm like, all right, dude, whatever, you know. So I didn't even try. It was like too uncomfortable. So I would just hit with him and not give him instruction. So I think he preferred the other guy. But because the daughters liked me, he would hire me. And it wasn't even like me in like a weird way. It wasn't like creepy. Mm -hmm. It was just, we were all cool. The daughter, dude, these daughters rule. Like they're, I still see them. So every once in a while, they'll come to my shows. Like really cool girls. The guy's a good dude too. And then they'd invite me over for lunch. And it was funny. Like they would do like a, I don't know if it was because of the day of the week, but like we would eat and they would like do a like blessing. Like he would do like a, some sort of Jewish prayer. And it was funny. He'd do it. And he sort of like felt embarrassed that he was doing it in front of me. And he would like be saying it. And he'd look at me. He'd be like, you know, <laughs> it was like a really funny new one saying he'd be like you know da 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 like saying Hebrew or whatever look at me back <laughs> I would break bread with them it was great and uh, yeah that was like a, that was a, a, a dream tennis gig there are stories like that and I always became afraid that I would turn into a person that was like too afraid to step away from it because the money was too good a lot of those guys I mean look like a lot of them want to be there but I know some of them don't some of them would prefer to do other stuff and they, you know, they act like they have other pursuits, but like you can tell in their day to day, they're not spending time on those pursuits and it can be hard. You know what I mean? Like you've just grinded all day teaching tennis. How do you then muster up the energy to go to an open mic after? You know what I mean? I get off the court. I would have clay all over my shoes. I have to shower in the gross locker rooms and then go over to this open mic. I'm so tired. I have no energy. But like if you're not treating a thing that you want to be your job, like a job, it's never going to be your job. So at some point I was like, I need to stop doing this. I cannot do this. And because, you know, you get a cushy gig. Some rich guy loves you. Because that's the thing about teaching tennis. It's interesting. You are still the help, but you're the help who can do something better than the people who you teach to. So at the very least, you get invited to the table. They have respect for you, even though you're still a slave. Ultimately, it's a very cynical way to look at it. My dad says that my dad's disappointed in that outlook. Mm. He's like, what are you talking about? So anyway... Um, it's very easy to be like, come live at our house in the Hamptons all summer. I'll, we'll give you a car. We'll give you a, a spending budget and we'll also pay you this amount. How do you say no to that? But now you're in the Hamptons all summer and suddenly you can't do stand up. You can't do whatever that other thing is you were going to do. But there are a couple other, I mean, no, notably there's like a bunch of other good tennis playing comedians. I don't know how much they ever taught. Like Hannah Burner was a great much more decorated player than I was. We all played division one, but she was like number one for a big program. Michael Costa, decorated player. We're trying to get him on the pod. And then there's a couple guys who are like teaching pros and I don't know if they still teach or whatever, but uh, I know that they were working at the club that I used to work at. So it's an interesting examination. I'm sorry. These last couple episodes have turned into like stick with your dreams. No, it's good but stuff. Where, how do we get there though? How, how do we get there? Yeah. We were talking about tipping the doorman. Tipping. Yeah. yeah. Under the ear tipping. You got something? No, oh, I, well, no, I was I was going to say uh, when giving out cookies, my recommendation would be if you have a spectrum of who you'd be giving more and less to, I would say whoever falls into the bucket of less cookies uh, could be an option. The people that you don't see on the day to day, but like the doormen, for example, like I would probably give I would give them a tip. But like who who on that list is, is someone that you see the least amount? The, you don't even need to say who or what they do, but like I'm sure there's like five people out of the 15 that are clearly on the third tier. Okay. Maybe cookies are, and a bottle of wine are acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't so, have to be just money. No, you're right. So this is my thought. I, I am going to do just all money just because even though it's expensive, it is easier, it's cleaner. And like I have, I already have to get so many gifts for people that it just makes more sense than to like take on another time consuming task. But also, you know, I'm just thinking from my perspective, I'd rather have money than cookies or wine. Um, so I'm just going to give, but, but if we had to break down who's doing more, who's doing less, and there's a solid chance that some of these guys listen to this show. So hopefully if they hear that, they'll understand the method behind my madness, but it's a full service building. So there's people, you order food, they bring it up to your door. You never have to see the delivery guy. If they, if you have boxes that you want to get rid of, they take them down for you. So everybody's doing a lot, to be honest. I will say the, the people who I interact with the least are like the overnight guys. Now I see them because I do comedy. So I come in late. I'll see these guys. and They're nice guys. But like theoretically, they're doing less for me. But I wonder the way that people break down their tipping. And if some people don't tip the newer people, but they tip the OG people and they tip mm. them more. And like, I just kind of don't really know. 
but we have an idea in our mind who is going to get what and need to do that soon. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, we will have already sent it to them, but Christmas sneaks up on you, dude. Big time. We did not do a good job decorating this year. We have a menorah that has no candles in it and we don't have a Christmas tree. <laughs> Last year, at least we had a menorah with candles and a Christmas tree. But this new apartment is just too small, man. Mm. Did you guys do any decorating? Vic did a ton of decorating. That's, wow. that's one thing I love about living with her like she she has like seasonal stuff in a box in our storage unit nice uh downstairs the storage uh, unit in the building yeah we have a storage unit in the building and um yeah we got a christmas tree i think a couple days after we got a christmas tree the couple days after thanksgiving is a real one yeah we got a real tree is it big uh it's probably like mm, six feet tall what yeah was it expensive 75 bucks it's not that bad. We walked by Whole Foods. They were charging like 90. And then there's this other Christmas tree place on our street. They were charging like 210 for small Jesus trees, dude. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's... So, and then how do you get it back? Do they bring it for you? Um, we were borrowing a car. So, we just put it up there, took it out, brought it in the house, brought it in the apartment. And uh, yeah, it's nice having a tree. Christmas decorations are really cozy. Yeah, they're cute. We have flannel sheets right now. It's been impossible <laughs> To get out of the bed in the morning. Is it cold in your room? Um, I like to wake up cold, so I'll turn the heat off. Uh, the heat's like right behind our bed, so when Vic falls asleep, I turn it off and nice. then wake up freezing. Yeah, yeah, that. that's nice. Well, yeah, we have, so our apartment is like, my dad made the point, he's like, next time you get an apartment, make sure you get a north-south facing apartment and not an east-west one, which is what we have, because we have an east-facing apartment, which is fine. Oh, interesting, wait a minute. Sorry, yeah. keep going. I'm no, just no. looking so at it. So the sun blasts into the apartment in the morning, which is fine, but it's annoying because with our windows, we have a, like floor to ceiling windows, which is is cool, is not as cool as it sounds, but it's theoretically a pretty view. But like, if we wanted to fully maximize our shade potential, like we would be rolling the blinds up at noon every day, and then before we go to bed, closing them which is just such a pain because there's 10 of them and like we have to manually do it. So like a lot of the time we just end up leaving them shut because in the morning, if we don't, the sun just rips into the apartment. And the thing that sucks about it is we go to bed at night and it's cold. So we turn on the heat. If we don't turn the heat off before we go to bed, we wake up baking, Ew. which sucks. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. So is this, this is East? This face East. Okay. I can't figure out our situation. Right now, I wish we had more natural light coming into our apartment. They put up these two buildings, oh, man. Uh, right in front of, uh, right, right in front of our apartment, and uh, it. We had a little bit of a view of water, the East River, and that's completely gone. And the two towers of these this buildings has happened while you've been there. Yeah, Damn. the two towers um, that have been built. They're it's the same building. They have a base probably going up to like the third uh, floor, and then they separate into two towers. And there's this, just a little shriek of light that comes through. Thank God we get so much light from it. But if there was just, if those buildings were just one or if it was just yeah, one was, a, if they overlapped and one was longer than the other, like we'd have no sunlight coming in because it's a tall building. It's towering. It's so a tower. I, I wonder about that, man. It's like you buy in a sick apartment and you pay a bunch of money because of the view. And suddenly if another building pops up that obstructs the view, is your apartment suddenly not worth as much? You know? Yeah, that is like one of my biggest fears that likely I will never have to deal with. But like <laughs> there's some there's some really sick condos uh, that, you know, have a great view of the East River and of Manhattan. And then they're completely blocked by this uh, this new building that, that has gone up and all these new buildings that are going to go up and stuff. So the value must go down so much, so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's an interesting thing now, too, though, which is to your point where you're like, that's never going to happen for me. Like it may not happen for me either. And, and, and I'm sure things will change, but currently the way the like interest rates are or whatever in almost all of the country, it is less expensive to rent than it is to own a house like long term. Mm -hmm. Even if you were to like sell it eventually, like all things considered, I was reading some economist article. Oh my God, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. But to me, owning shit like feels like a pain in the ass and that may be wrong, but like I think about all these rich guys who like own a bunch of houses. I'm like, that would be such a fucking headache. Like I don't want a bunch of houses. I know that. Like I feel perfectly at home in a hotel and I have nothing to worry about. I'm not like, Oh, I wish I was home. I don't feel that way at all. And I actually love knowing that I don't have to clean up. I don't have to worry about anything. If there's a problem, I don't have to fucking worry about it. And Hillary always asks, she's like, 
She says that I'm a pain in the ass in a hotel because I always get annoyed when she just opens her bag and leaves it in the middle of the floor or puts it on the couch. I'm like, can you put your stuff away? And she's like, why? <laughs> and I'm like, because I want to feel at home. I'm actually cleaner in a hotel than I am at home. Because wow. it's nice. I don't feel the weight of my life on me. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm free to think about other shit. And the mm-hmm. thing, that's, this shit that's stressing me out. How long uh, have your parents owned the house? That is that your child at home that I visited? Uh, oh, so for so since I was in like kindergarten. Wow. So like for a while. Yeah. 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 Home. Yeah. You make a good point. Like being a homeowner, there's so many things that come with it. Like Vic and I, we have an issue with, I don't know, our toilet, our light bulb, uh, something creaking in the closet. Like we just make a phone call. It's taken care of yeah. within you know Tuesday. a day or two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but new roof, new boiler, new, new well, new all this shit. It's a pain in the ass. And look, like I have no, I don't know how much my parents bought the house for versus how much it's worth, but it's definitely gone up a bunch in value. So I'm sure that it has made sense for them. And oftentimes it makes sense to own something. I get it. But the idea of having headaches that make me static bother me. Mm-hmm. If I was Very a rich true. guy, dude, I think that I would not be a property person. And I know that's a good investment or whatever, but it seems like a pain in the fucking ass. Yeah. You know, so whatever. I know that like, you know, you can make it a business where you don't have to like be hands on. You have other people do it for you. But like if you own a couple houses and they're your personal residences, you've just inherited a fuck ton of problems. Yeah. So you feel at home everywhere you go. That's the problem you're trying to solve. I don't have that problem. Good for you. So I don't give a fuck. Um, okay. We got some emails here. Let's rip them. Um, this one's fun because it talks about fraternity stuff. And I've always wondered if at some point fraternity shit gets weird for initiation, whether it's excessively violent or sexual uh, and I'm always interested to hear so anyway we got one here from somebody uh, and we I guess I'll just read all this because there's some funny shit (laughs) (laughs) you saying violent that's funny (laughs) heaps boys and the plant boy let's skip the introductory pleasantries Merry Christmas to the plant boy by the way still riding and doing well regenerating those leaves Um, let's skip the introductory pleasantries and get right into it boys Ryan you're a legend man (laughs) Thank you. Don't let Danny Palm Daddy Palmer get you down about the availability <laughs> email. If anything, it shows your initiative and excitement to get your stand-up career going. Honestly, it was really sweet. Julio, you're also a legend, man. You made my day when you sent me a birthday video this summer. Hey, my pleasure, pal. For you to take the time to do that, it's telling you in regards to who you are as a person. You're in my top 10, man. Dude, you're the best. Fuck, I love this. Uh, also, Those are some pleasantries You're right in my there. top 10. That's good. I like that. Also, Julio, I know you have a bit of fascination when it comes to fraternity culture from listening to the pod all these years. I want to share a specific experience of mine in undergrad when I was a pledge at a little school in Kentucky. Uh, anyway, I wanted to make friends being from the Midwest and decided to pledge a fraternity. Big mistake. These coked up, deer hunting, whiskey chugging, rather large in stature Kentucky boys uh, were born to give freshman pledges a run for their money. So the next thing I know... My pledge brothers and I are being forced to take turns in the, this is what they called it, the quote, Oh, (laughs) brutal, uh, where we'd be sprayed down with water like cattle. Basically, this was just a large storage space hole in the wall of an active fraternity member's house. This weird storage hole also had a, quote, little door that could be locked. So let's just say things got weird rather quickly. It's no elephant walk, but what a wild ride. It's no surprise that I ended up transferring after my freshman year to the University of Iowa where I didn't engage in Greek life and just had fun with my boys and chicks. Danny P. Chicks, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just so curious what happened down there. So if you guys don't know about the elephant walk, that's where you get naked and you walk in a line. The person who's reaching backward holds onto the penis of the person behind them. And that person holds on to the penis of the person behind them. Thus, the elephant walk. As you all hold each other's trunks, you walk in procession. I've still never heard an actual tale of anybody actually doing it. But I'd love to hear if you have heard of it. So anyway, I don't know what was happening down there in that hole, but pretty weird. Julia, before we wrap up today, I stumbled upon chapter two of Tales of the Haddam Raccoons. Oh, very nice. Um, If you, last week... um, we learned the origin story between Big G and the raccoon. When Big G was little G, he was trying to help uh, a little boy whose kite was in a tree. And uh, in efforts to reclaim that, he ended up meeting the Haddam raccoon who saved his life. <laughs> and that is how we got to where we are today. So here's chapter two. <laughs> it was a beautiful day out in the town. 
Big G and his friend putt-putting around. <laughs> when out in the distance, an old lady in despair, laying on the street, displaced from her wheelchair. Ah! Fuck! Shit! My leg! She screamed as loud as she could. The duo raced over as all neighborly heroes should. Her leg was bleeding, a hole in the shape of a dot. Fuck! Shit! Damn it! Fuck! I think I was shot! <laughs> Big G grabbed some bandages from his trusty first aid kit and put on some gloves so infections wouldn't transmit. Ah! <laughs> oh, shit! Shit! Oh. The old lady would cry. Get yourself together, sighed the raccoon, as he applied much-needed pressure to her badly wounded thigh. <laughs> Big G looked at the woman. Now we must go. The lady cried, no, you're going to leave me on the side of the road like I'm roadkill deer. <laughs> no, I need you to stay. I need you to stay right here. We called the paramedics. They are on their way. We're the Haddam raccoons. So have a great day. To, the, mor <laughs> the moral of this tale is to not be uh, greedy and just uh, take the help that's given to you because okay. they went out of their way to to give the lady a little assistance. Well, dude, Big G clearly lives in a terrible <laughs> neighborhood if people in wheelchairs are getting shot. Well, there's a lot to learn <laughs> about where they live, um, you know, in coming tales and stuff. So just, just nice. uh, the second installment. If you guys like more, um, I'm sure I'll stumble upon chapter three and, and all the others. So thank you. Ryan will keep doing his scholarly <laughs> research to uncover the origin story and more tales of Big G in the wild that conveniently rhyme and are getting crazier and crazier. Uh, but that's it for the show, guys. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, shout out to everybody. You know, we've been really enjoying all this with you all year. It's been a, a solid and fun time. So we'll have more time to do reminiscing about the sort of upcoming year and the year that we're leaving behind us. But for now, he is at Ryan is really polite. The Chipotle champion. Um, I'm Julio Gallarati. You know where to find me. I got a bunch of cool tour dates coming up in... Arizona, San Diego, California, Connecticut, uh, Tampa area, and then finally shooting my special 216 in Chicago. Looking forward to seeing you guys. Uh, and Ryan will also be with me in Connecticut, Stanford. Yes. 2-1. It's going to be good. That is all. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year. <laughs>